Lord, what amazing songs. We thank you for Sarah and the gifts and the talents that you have bestowed upon her, how she faithfully brings them at your feet to offer worship so that your name is lifted higher. May we just be fully aware of that today as we come before you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we relish in the fact that you desire intimacy with us. And so I I put this at your feet. May my words um, somehow bring glory to the name above all names. I ask this, Lord, through your power in your son's name. Amen. Okay, may the owner of a white GMC Yukon Texas 88R GM5 please see the workmen out there who would like your car to be moved. (laughs) Is anybody? Does that hit anybody? Okay. If it does, just feel free to um, go move your car. Okay. I'm Kay Wyma, and I have the joy and the treat to be able to um, lead uh, the prayer time uh, for the leaders in the morning, and I get to pray for y'all during the week. And so it's a pleasure and a treat. And every so often I get to come up here, which I love to do. So bear with me because this could be an interesting one as you see a Facebook page over there. Who, who in this room is a Facebooker? Okay, so we've got a few that haven't made the leap. I have to say that I personally am a newbie on the Facebook realm. I did not really think Facebook was worth paying attention to because all it looked like to me was a time consumer. Uh, don't y'all agree? Okay, well, anyway, this, this talk doesn't really have as much to do with Facebook, but about the thought of what if, what if, what would it be like if Jesus was on Facebook? Okay, well, I have to tell you, when I first even thought about Facebook, um, it really stemmed from my brother David as we were driving in the car. I told Lucina that we were going to have a little Oklahoma moment because uh, we, we headed out in my brother's 15-passenger van full of children and trunks on our way to Canicut Camp. And we decided last summer that we would drive them out there because there were so many of them going. I have, we have a lot of kids in our family. I've got five. My brother has seven. And my other brother has three. So we kind of put them all. We had a lot of kids in that van. And it's kind of like a Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club van. And often people think that we are coming to be the transport from one area to the other. But we had trunks. I sat in the row right behind the driver. But the row right behind the driver is out. So that's where all the trunks really go. And the trunks were high. We had our feet up on it, and we leave Dallas early in the morning. We're driving along, and my brother David is driving, which is a scary thought because the guy always falls asleep at the wheel. But by the time we hit Oklahoma, we stopped on the other side in lovely McAllister, and we went to the lovely McDonald's there. And I was like, I'll drive. I'd like to drive because all I was thinking is my sister-in-law is sitting up there who is one of my best friends, and I wanted some chat time with her. And I was like, great, I'll drive, and we can talk because this is really so boring. And I get in the driver's seat, and my brother stayed in the passenger seat, which really irritated me. Because I, and then I thought, well, get over that. You haven't had a great conversation with him in a long time. Maybe, you know, maybe he'll talk to you. Well, he didn't because my brother had become a newbie on Facebook. And I mean, the whole time, beep, 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 beep. 
and he's sitting there, and I'm on those, and you know the roads. I mean, they are, they're, you know, the first of all, construction everywhere. I, it was mind-numbing, and I was just like, please, somebody talk to me. And Chris was so far back, and my brother blares the music. We couldn't converse, so it was me and the Facebook guy. And every so often, he'd look at me, and he'd go, oh, my goodness, Greg Yancey, he, he friended me. And I was like, oh, Greg Yancey is a good friend of ours from old. And I was like, well, how is Greg? What's he doing? In hopes for even a blip of a conversation. Of course, there was none. He told me a little bit about him, and then he went back to Facebooking his friend Greg Yancey. So it really didn't end up being quite the fun driving experience for me. But it, when I came home, I was so interested by the whole thing because I had never, literally all of these people that they showed up from childhood so long ago. I mean, people were on the swim team with us when we were little. I mean, just all these random people. And I thought, well, how fun to get on Facebook. So I did. And I joined Facebook and thus began the old junior high days where I was like, how many friends do I have? Am I going to be embarrassed because I don't have enough friends? But how many is enough friends? Is 100 a good number? Is 300 make you look like you're, you know, kind of wanting? Or am I a poser? Or, I, mean, I mean, it was just like, ah! Which I know y'all are laughing because you can relate to a little bit, those that have gotten on it. And then you wonder, well, how much, you know, you put your personal information in there, and I'm like, well, how much is too much personal information? Or do you give a little bit? Or, you know, is my picture supposed to be with John or with my kids? Or is it by myself? You know, I, I just, the whole thing, it just, you know, by the time it was over, I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I got a message from somebody some old friend. I'm sitting there on my email, and there was, Kay, you have a message from June Henry. Well, June Henry is who I walked to school together with every day when I was in grade school. And I was like, June Henry? And on it, it said, Kay, I'm so glad you joined FB, because that's Facebook, you know, for... <laughs> I'm so glad you joined FP. I just can't wait to catch up, and your picture is so pretty. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. like, whether someone thought that my face was pretty on Facebook. So as I was putting this together, I really, I sat there, and as goofy as this is, I thought, what would it be like if Jesus was on Facebook? When we, going through this, this study, it has been so interesting, because we really have gone very methodically through the different, uh, I don't know, foundations of the faith, starting with the authority of the scripture, moving on to the Trinity, who Christ is in that trinity and what it means, being created in the image of God, us, all of us, um, being what it took to separate us from the trinity. And then here we are, ladies, at the one who made himself God so that we could be in communion again with him. And I, shopped, I was sort of overwhelmed, and, I, and the study, you know, the thing with the study is there's so much. And then today we really learned about Jesus. We learned what a follower of Christ looks like, the cost of that. And then we looked at what, who we are as a new creation. And I, and I thought, well, how, how is it that I actually get to know Christ? How do I get to know him? Because that's really what it's about. How do I know him? I know he wants intimacy with me, but how do I get there? So as I started thinking, as goofy as it was, I was like, okay, let's walk the road of Facebook, of a Facebook page. Okay, isn't this cool? This is the new little thing that was in the back. I love it. So I have a pointer. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Now this status over here, this is, this is what his page might look like. 
Okay, I put married on there only because we are referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, there could have been a lot of things. The church could be Christ's, you know, partner in marriage. But I also thought it would be, you know, the truth of the matter is his status is he, he is the ultimate friend. He is the father and he is the son. He's, he's everything. He's, he's our brother. So there's a lot that could go in that sense. So let's see. On the, let's see. The birthday, well, that's the beginning of time. The hometown would be Bethlehem. And, and I thought, for one who existed before the creation of world, the profile information section is a little small to handle, wouldn't you say? There's really no way to do that. Jesus' profile, however, can be found from the very beginning of your book, in Genesis until the very end of Revelation. So don't be fooled that it's just in the New Testament that you can know this man because he's peppered throughout Scripture. There's one key in the whole thing, though, is to actually for me to stop making it about myself. When I look out and I want to know who he is, I can begin by looking at creation, which Paul is great about telling us that, that the, we can see God in creation. And we can't just see him in the trees in the flowers and in the beautiful animals, he's talking about every person that is sitting right next to you because we are all a part of the creation and we are created in his image. And so we know there is a part of Jesus, there's something, every single fingerprint is different on each one of us and yet there is a part of Jesus in each one of you that is something I can't come to because I'm Kay and I have Joy right here who has things that the Lord teaches Joy that he's not going to teach me because I'm not Joy. But if I am with Joy, I can actually start to grasp a part of Christ that I may not have known before because I am relishing in who God made her to be. Does that make sense? So we've got creation in every way around us. Another way is through biblical truths. Okay, as I was thinking about this, there are... There are biblical truths that just blatantly say who Christ is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. That is a blatant truth that is written about Christ. I have to tell you that one thing that this study has done for me is that it has made me realize that often I stop at the words as I define them to be, and I kind of leave it at that. So I could sit there and go, well, of course that says something about Christ. I can look at that and I can know. But there could be more behind it. There could be something more. So when I look at the 1 Corinthians 13 and I look at the love chapter and I know that God is love, I can look at every one of those descriptions of love and know that that actually is Christ. Okay, that one, I, I sit there and go, okay, I, I can get that. I know that love is patient. I know it's kind. I know it's slow to anger. I know it's not proud. And lo and behold, just a few chapters earlier, I see Christ himself say, I am gentle and I am humble, so never ever will it contradict itself. You will be able to see things about Christ from the very beginning of Genesis till the end that never contradicts itself but fully supports itself. Okay, so I've got that. I can get there. God is love. I can, I can make that, that jump. But then I, I have to tell you that often I catch myself looking at passages and stopping with what it has to do about with me. For instance, Philippians 4 Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things, and the peace of God will be with you. When I read that, I sit there and I go, well, I need to be thinking about true, I need to be thinking about, okay, I need to make sure my thoughts aren't on this, I need to be thinking about this, but if I really back away from it and go, what do I learn about Christ through this? 
I learn right here that Christ is true, that Christ is noble, that Christ is right, that Christ is every one of these characteristics. It's not about me. It's about who he is. And I can look at this scripture and take it off of myself and go, oh, here's a new level of intimacy that I can go with this father who's tucking things underneath so that I can dig further to know who he is. Okay? What about directives? What about something in Ephesians 4.20 that says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. We say this verse often in our house because we have children. And they say, yeah, my word, that's all they do is they tear each other down. Okay, and, and so I could stop again at that directive and go, okay, no unwholesome word. I can check that one off. I don't want to think anything unwholesome. I don't want to say anything unwholesome. But do I go further and realize that this is Christ, that no unwholesome word ever came out of his mouth, ever. That every single word he ever spoke was for the purpose of building others up. And I sit there again going, what, what else do you have to teach me through these little things? When I read the Psalms, and let me tell you, the Psalms is chock full of terrific things about Christ and his promises about God and who he is, about the fortress, the mighty fortress that he is. And it also can give me insight on who Christ is and how he actually felt on this earth, how he felt on the cross, how, his, how that man actually cried out to God and the feelings that were associated with that. That takes me to an intimate level where I want to be because if I'm there, I am not thinking about myself. And I get in a lot of trouble when I spend the day thinking about myself, which, sadly, I really do. I want to read a small, there, there, I want to read a small quote from George Mueller. Do you all know who George Mueller is? He was a, a gentleman in England who really would be right up there on the prayer warrior. He, he gave his life, literally, and he lived on nothing the Lord provided every single thing from him, and this man was a pillar of our faith. Now, this English, this is from his biography, and it is a little heady, so if you can bear through it. I had a little conversation with my son today because he is a professor that speaks. <laughs> he speaks proper English, and it just doesn't go anywhere with my son. And you know what? Sadly, it doesn't go anywhere with me either. I sit there listening to him, and I need a dictionary to go, excuse me, I don't really know what you said. But this, if you can just listen for a minute, because this is a part of the key. If we seek the secrets of life, and the secret of life is this, we must take time to be alone with his word and his spirit that we may truly meet God and understand his will and revelation of himself. That's the key to unlock the doors of prosperous growth and growth and grace and peace and service. God's world in his word, the expression of his thought. Do you want to know what God's thinking? Have you ever said, I'd love to hear God speak out loud. I'd love to know what God's thinking. Well, it's in your hands. It's right there in your hands. That's the power of that book. The revealing of his mind and heart. The supreme end of life is to know God and make him known. That's it. And how is this possible so long as we neglect the very means he has chosen for conveying to us that knowledge? Even Christ, the living word, is, found, is, to, is to be found enshrined in the written word. Our knowledge of Christ, our knowledge of Christ, is dependent upon our acquaintance with the Holy Scriptures. 
which are the reflection of his character and glory, the firmament across the expanse of which he moves as the son of righteousness. There's a little role that we play in this too, and it's called faith, because that's our part of the bargain. This is the only time in our existence that we will have faith. When we are standing in front of him, you don't need it. It will not be a part of it. And he provides for us to be able to have that faith. And it's like, let me lean into that and get what that means. And let it transform me so that I can be available and so I can be obedient. Because that's all we have to offer him. Moving on to the friends. Because this is another way that we can get to know Jesus. Did that work? Friends. Okay, here we have the friends section. Boop, right there. Oh, there are too many to fit on that page. He would probably get kicked off Facebook. From what I understand, you can't have too many friends. Greater ha- in his definition, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you you did not choose me but I chose you okay and I said now first of all I am the typo queen so any errors is is just what it is I live that way I don't know I I think it makes everyone flexible around me but um first of all when I was thinking about this whole friend thing because you get a little note from somebody if you're on and it's like oh Linda would like for you to be your friend her friend okay It's so interesting because every single one of us in our inbox has a message from Christ saying, I want to be your friend. And some of us has accepted because you got to accept the friendship or some of us can deny it and boot it out. So there's, you know, there's something to be said there. There's also another thing that you can do with your friend. You can hide them. If they talk too much, Ann and I have a friend that talks a little bit too much. So we found this neat little button where you hide them and you never have to see anything that they say. <laughs> but we aren't going to talk about who it is. Um, and, and again, what an interesting correlation of what we do with Christ. He is there. There is always a message for you in the inbox from your Savior. And how often do we hit the little hide section so we don't have to look at what he's saying? Okay, the number of friends is crazy, out of control, beyond anything that you could ever imagine. Think a little bit about who would be on his friend list. He would have, okay, we start at the beginning. We're going, you know, from Adam and Eve all the way down to people that are heroes of the faith now throughout the, throughout the ages, not just people that are well-known that you would know of, but you would have the person that's working with the children that you've never, ever noticed before. You have people that, that would be considered faceless who are actually his very most prominent friends. For me, I would be very interested in checking out Moses' profile, seeing what went down. I would like to see, you know, look at a little Daniel. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I would personally like to know what it felt like standing there in the middle of that fire without getting burned. You know, nothing like, I mean, wouldn't that be fun? Or even Mary, what would it actually have been like to have a two-year-old that never threw a tantrum? It would be very, you know, we could read all this stuff. The interesting thing, though, about his friend's profile um, is that they all have unique stories in and of themselves, which, again, I often read the Bible and look at the unique story, and I stop there. But there's so much that I can learn about Christ through their story. 
So if I can go beyond and look a little bit about that, I can do what Paul admonished all of us to do in Hebrews 11, and that is to remember and consider and imitate the heroes of the faith that have gone before us. And if you really look at those heroes of the faith that have gone before us, you will see that it had nothing to do with what they did. It had everything to do with the person that was fueling them to be able to do anything. All of those people checked out. It was all about Christ in them. And it was about Christ in them because the people in the Old Testament that are the faith heroes looked forward to what they knew to be true. We have the luxury of looking back at who it was that fulfilled everything. So let's just quickly go through a few. Take Noah, for example. Not only can I learn about God, about his story, but I can look at the beautiful imitations about Christ woven in this story. The humility it must have taken that man to build that ark in front of people that were laughing at him Think about Christ being laughed at and scoffed at by those teachers and the Pharisees. Let's look at Job, which we studied last year. Okay, I, I can barely get my mind around the mind-boggling suffering that that man went through physically. It's just it's too much, and I think most of us felt that way as we were reading it. That is just a taste of what our Savior experienced on the cross when he had to separate himself from himself. For that moment when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What about when Job lost all of his children in that first part, you know, where everyone died? That is what Christ and the Lord and the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit experienced when that, that fruit was eaten. Death entered right there. And that feeling that we could maybe just for a moment taste, maybe that's what God felt like when that when they partook of that food. What about Abraham and Sarah with their little bundle of joy that was the first impossible birth? Because he was. And then there's the Lord with Christ, the impossible birth through a virgin. And what about when Abraham put his son, which I know that y'all can think about this one, when he laid his son upon that altar to sacrifice him. And Isaac agreed. And he got on there. What a picture, ladies. What about Jacob when he looked at Rachel and he had to work seven years? And when he got through those seven years, another seven was tacked on. And you know what he said? It seemed like but a day. Do you think maybe that's the way our Lord and Savior felt on the cross when he was enduring that and looking at us and holding himself up there because of you and because of me? I don't know. What about Samuel, whose words never fell to the ground? I tell you what, Jesus' words never fell to the ground. What about Isaiah and his obedience when he was called? What about Jeremiah being plagued by the enormity of the message that was on his heart? That is Christ having the truth and the message upon his heart as a man walking this earth. What about Ruth? What about Boaz? What about them together? Ruth, who didn't leave. She could have left, but she didn't. She adopted Naomi's family as her own. And what about Boaz, who looked out into that field and saw that lost sheep, and he brought her into his fold, not as a friend, but as his wife? There's so much woven throughout the entire scripture about our Savior. If I want to know him, let me get in there and get myself out of the way so that I, so that I can know him. Hmm. There's a small difference too, though. 
about this friendship thing. We aren't just friends. We are his children. We hit the family status. There's a little box you can click if you're family. Every single one of Jesus' friends fall into the family status, including each one of us. Okay, I'm going to go because it's 12 almost. I don't know. I love this stuff because I, I just think, I don't know. I just think there's so much available to us to just think about. There's a feature for those of y'all that don't do Facebook, and I'm sure that y'all probably know what instant messaging is. I, don't, I am so in the dark ages, but I know kids have instant, you can chat with somebody live. On Facebook, they have a little green thing. If the person is on Facebook and you're able to chat, it's a full green circle. Well, let me tell you what. Your Savior always has the green circle lit because he is always available to chat. And the reason why he's available to chat is because unlike any of his friends listed in his profile, he isn't dead. Everybody else is dead and has not come back. This person died and he rose again and he is alive today and so he's always available for you to chat if i look at the photos you know it's full in those photos pictures of me pictures of you all of those pictures even the bad junior high ones you know for me it was the farrah fawcett flip with my wired frame glasses and my beautiful braces on my teeth that was really beyond ugly and yet, he's got it because it's beautiful to him. He has a picture of me, the sonogram, before the sonograms were even around. That's what's in his photo album. Every single thing that I've ever done, every conversation that I thought I was only having with my dog, he's got it. He's got it covered. And he's accepted it. And it's really, it's interesting to think about. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And even the very hair on your head are all numbered. Okay. Of course, we know that a Facebook relationship doesn't come close to who he is and what or hat he has for us. <laughs> no one loves the way that he does. Okay. Did you get that part? No one loves the way he does. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. In him, only in him, not in any other way, I am a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The, all, the old is gone and the new has come. And you know what? I am made to love that's what I'm made to do over being loved. I struggle with the need to be loved. If I could just rest in the fact that I'm made to love, that struggle would be out of there. Thus, when he says my burden is easy and my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, it's one of those, how could that be? Well, it is because it's not me anymore, and I really am doing what I was made to do when I do what he tells me to do, and that is love each other as I have loved you. Do you feel lonely? I do. Also, I mean, we all do. Do you deep inside feel mistreated or abandoned that no one can relate, that you're the only whatever it is? Do you feel an uneasiness as to where you're going or what you are going to do or what you need to be? Well, I can tell you that the deeper that I know him, the deeper I know him, by spending time in his word, and by learning about who he is through his word, getting myself out of there, going to him and saying, open my eyes to show me who you are through all of this. The deeper I experience him, the closer I actually am to being really everything that I was created to be. When he came to this earth after he died, he spoke three words to those, to those disciples that sat there in disbelief. He said, peace be with you. 
And again, peace be with you. And another time, peace be with you. Because he is the definition of peace. He's it. We all want it. And he has it right there for you. And you know what? Jesus will never defriend you. You can't do anything. And the other thing is, sometimes you look on Facebook, you want to go, I want to find so-and-so from my background. You don't have to go find Jesus. He has found you. So there you have it. I hope when you turn on Facebook, if any of you do, that maybe it might make you think for a minute, just a little bit, whenever you get those pings of insecurity, that you will run to the one who loves you so much. And will he show each one of us who we are in him? And may we learn from each other who he is in each other. Lord, your word is precious. We thank you that everything you say is true. Your thoughts aren't our thoughts and your ways aren't our ways. And I just pray for myself that today that I will back out and I will just open my eyes to who you are. For each one of us as we go out today that somehow we could actually be your hands and feet to do what you commanded us to do, to do what we were created to do. And that is to love others as you have loved us. We give this to you, Lord, humbly, with hearts expecting you to come and to fill all the deep longings of our hearts. We pray these things in your very precious son's name. Amen.